Say that the podcast for your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago, and join me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the president of Mission USA. I'm ready. Are you ready, audience? That's the real question. I would ask if you're ready for this, but that's a deeply copyrighted phrase. <laughs> so, joining us, Jed Brew, the director of Mission USA Productions. I am ready now. So, joining us all the way from Memphis, Tennessee, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. Also, I am ready. Let's go. Let's do well, this. Well, it's a good thing we're ready because we got a big show this Whoa. week. Really? We've got an interview with Christian singer, songwriter, and author Andrew Peterson. Oh, wow. yeah. Come on now. He's won Dove Awards, probably. I forgot to look that up. <laughs> um, <laughs> almost certainly. He's won some uh, young adult fiction awards. He started out as a singer, songwriter. He still does that, but he's also got the very popular Wing Feather Saga of mm. uh, Christian young adult fantasy novels. I very think popular, done very well. I think it's fair to say that uh, he's one of the favorite songwriters of all of us here on this podcast. Yeah, that's for, yeah. just a huge real fan of his work. Well, Absolutely. unfortunately, I think this is probably the, uh, the 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 signal for total decline in his career. Is, Coming on this show, yeah, it's probably you know it's that it's that moment when you recognize it, it's over now. Sure, sure. You know, this, uh, well. Because I will say we we one of our earlier interviews was a, a singer songwriter great uh, lady called Sandra McCracken who yes. she's had relevant uh, streaming previewing her record all week so that's nice. Well, we didn't totally shipwreck her career. You're trying to say she got to say that bump. I think that's what you're saying. Almost the exact opposite <laughs> of what I'm saying. Sure. <laughs> now keep in mind we've never had anything on relevant, so I'm not sure how we could actually get that bump. But hey, Chad's been on relevant. I, I have indeed. He's written stuff on the well, like on their thing yeah, multiple that's times right. actually. Well, well, there you go. There in you that go. case, say that bump. Say well, that bump. You've but been now, bumped. Uh, just, despite what Glenn just said, I'm we, not, we're bumping you. We're totally bumping you. <laughs> D- despite what Glenn <laughs> just said, slug, you left right. That's and the center. worst looking yet. Uh, I'm not. I'm not a reader. Um, I think books are of the devil. And don't turn that into certain something dirty just because I said we're bumping you. Absolutely, it's not dirty. Glenn, to the pure, all things are pure. That, thank you. Jeff. So, but now I'm not. Uh, I'm not a reader because uh, right. I, I find it pretentious. Sure. Um, I me just too. Uh, you know. Uh, do you think you're better than me with your books right. and you know movable type and uh-huh. all that? So, Jed's the last person holding on to the anti Gutenberg stance. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned that he was an author. That's uh, true. Tell what what kind of books are we talking about here? Well, this is this is going back several years. He just completed the fourth book in the saga. It's called the Wing Feather Saga. It's kind mm. of a uh, his take on a Chronicles of Narnia, Lord of the Rings style fantasy epic, but it's particularly aimed at uh, kind of the young adults. Okay, so very okay. very popular, done very well. Uh, he kickstarted the last one and really good response to that. It kind of but. All of them have been published. You can probably find them in your bookstore, Andrew Peterson, The Wing Feather Saga. Wow. Wow. So Christian books, as we, as we talked about in the, the podcast a lot, are pretty big. And he, But young adult fiction, also quite big. We've interviewed Raj Paulus before, so, you know. Yeah. Went pretty well. well. Glenn, I can only assume you're thinking what I'm thinking. Uh, uh, definitely. Because, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a reader, but I do like that sweet, sweet cashola. Actually, I was thinking about donuts, but keep going. Okay. Keep going. But, I, I may have been thinking about this, too. Well, here's the thing. Cashola right. can be used to procure many donuts. Okay, I'm with you. All Explain right. how. 
<laughs> Money can be exchanged for goods and services. Ooh. All right, so here's what I'm saying. If the right. kids like the young adult fantasy, uh-huh. I think we got to get in on that racket. So you're saying books about donuts? Yes. Oh, I'm saying books. That's a very specific fantasy to you. <laughs> books generally, but their success could lead to donuts. Oh. Okay. I I think we're getting somewhere. Okay. I think we're getting somewhere. So 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 what kind of books are we talking about here? Well, here's what I'm wondering. We know that the young the kids, the children's, we know mm. that they like the the fantasy books. Jed finds a magic donut. Is I, that am I getting warm? I think you're getting warm. <laughs> okay. But we also know they your like Twilight's, your Hunger's Game, your whatnot. Absolutely um, right. They also like the books about dating and relationships. Uh-huh. You know, D- does someone take off their shirt and turn into a wolf? Well, that's more in the fantasy side of things, right? That's D- but imagine say, if that happened in the Christian dating d- book. I think is what you're driving. Nice. At. Yeah, and then someone says, <laughs> "I can protect you." Better than he can. <laughs> Just like that. Men who were forced to go to those movies by their wives. That's completely true. And, and don't fire down, single guy, because we will turn on you very quickly on this podcast. And you know we will. I was trying will. to commiserate. Here's what I'm wondering. Much like a donut. Here, yes. here's, here's the thing about the jelly donut. You got my attention. Takes a donut. Yes. Takes jelly. Right. Brings them together. Double awesome. Double sure, awesome. Who's to say how? By some two, means of science or magic. Two, two awesome things by witchcraft come together. Boom. Here's what I'm saying. Maybe we could take Christian fantasy novels okay. with your dragons and your swords and stuff uh-huh. and your Christian dating books. Right. Bring them together. Jelly oh, donut of cash. Well, here's, 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 let me throw this out there and see what you think. If we're going to combine like the realms of fantasy and the uh, Christian dating books... Let's say you have uh, an epic tale where, you know, dating has been ruined for all young believers everywhere. Okay. And so as a gesture, one young Christian guy goes on an epic quest with a group of friends to undo the evil of of dating being ruined for the whole thing. I say we call it uh, Fellowship of the Purity Ring. Oh, nice. yeah. Nice. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, here's what I'm saying. You know, it's a love a love conflict. Right. Do I go with my mole man boyfriend? Right. Or pirate boyfriend? Ooh, sure. You know what I'm saying? Sure. He's a pirate. Yeah. Okay. Normally, he's okay, but every now and then, when the moon is full or whatever the thing is, he goes out pirating. You know, he goes raiding, you he's, know. He's like a pirate werewolf? Yeah, that's what I'm picking up on. That's cool. I can work with pirate werewolf. I don't think, I don't Look, think you I understand much even, about the history of piracy. Here, here's, <laughs> what, here's what I'm trying to say. I wasn't even thinking pirate werewolf, but right now, that's got to be the name of the book. My pirate werewolf boyfriend and the mole man that loves me. Okay. So, I mean, you're really, you're really thinking the Harlequin with? style um, yeah. title here. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. King, what else do you... <laughs> Let's see. Um, well, we, here's the thing: we know we're still feeling the reverberations of it. Is we know the whole the formula of I kissed something, something. Okay, right. Uh, I think Jed suggested before we started rolling, I kissed orcs goodbye. Nice, sure, sure. <laughs> I think that's good. So, so a, a young gal's version, uh, kind of quest of learning that she deserves better. 
than yeah, an orc. That's right. Sure. Yeah. The, yeah. Then you know yeah. someone who just doesn't respond to our needs. No more orcs. For constantly me. gnawing on bones or whatever <laughs> orcs do. Right. That's right. That's right. Redeeming ants. Yes. <laughs> yes. Wow. Can you know a gal yeah. who's it's, a, it's like an Old Testament allegory, but there's a tree involved. That's a deep cut. Yeah, that's, that's well a deep cut on both. That's a deep, deep cut nerdy. on both fronts. Yeah. That's a deep, deep nerdiness. No, I, I think you, I think you're right. It's you know how to you know date, okay. But it's told through a fantasy element of a girl who's trying to date a pirate werewolf, and it's like, you know, sometimes he says he loves me. Other times, he's a werewolf that's on a boat. <laughs> and it's like, I don't even know this guy. Sure. You know? I, like, I don't even, like, I feel like I don't know you right now. Right. Because right now, you're a werewolf on a boat. Sure, exactly. Meanwhile, the mole man boyfriend, he's always been there for her. Absolutely you know right. I mean? He's always listening to her. He's always dealing with he's, her. He's sweet and quiet. Oh, sweet and quiet and always wants to, like, uh, burrow under the covers together. <laughs> and so you're like, oh, this, <laughs> this, this could be a really great person to be with, but I'm sort of committed to the pirate werewolf boyfriend. So what do I choose? Because nothing says commitment like pirate werewolf. <laughs> That's right. I mean, you know, there are, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things of how, where are the boundaries? Yeah. You know what I mean? That's what we're always talking about on this podcast. You have to have a sense of boundaries. When you've got a pirate werewolf boyfriend, see, he's, 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 he's always pushing the boundaries. And you're always having to say, enough already. I know it's a full moon. Sure. But, you know, we're going to my parents' garden party, and you can't be swashbuckling when you get there. These are the things you have to work out you, you in an adult relationship. You can't demand that someone be keel-hauled at this party. See? Absolutely right. So uh, she's going through a lot of conflicts. That's that's really good. I think I think there's one element of this we're still missing, and I, okay. I just don't think we're going to get it wrapped up today, so we got to move on. But I think we're going to pitch this out to the audience. What is the title of the pirate werewolf mm -hmm. romance? Uh huh. Or the mole man romance, or the the combination of the two. Right. Pick one of those. Hit us up uh -huh. on Twitter, the bridge twitter.com slash the bridge chi. Yeah. Where we find us the bridge Chicago on uh on Facebook there. It's always the bridge Chicago.tumble.com. We've got our individual social medias out there. Uh, we're all on Twitter. That's uh, at Lee Younger, at Jed Brewer, at Lynn Fitzgerald, at Matt Kanger. So uh, let us know. I think, yeah. I think I think I believe in the audience. I think yeah. they're right. with something for us here. That's right. But uh, I think we got the ball in the tee, and they can they can take it from here. I think we gave them, I think we gave them the concept. I think uh -huh. I think the best answer gets a free month of Bridgebox. Absolutely. Or uh, if you come up with something really really good, we'll give you some physical swag. We'll ship out to you. But you know, flex your creativity. All right, we're gonna move on. We have to move on because, as we may have mentioned. Really big show. Lots Woo! going on. But before we get into that, we do want to take a minute, as we always do, to tell you about Bridgebox. If you've never heard of it before, it's our monthly subscription media service. We thank people who donate a very small amount of money, $8 a month, to the ministry here in Chicago. It's tax-deductible donation. And we, to thank you, we send out a package every month in your email of songs, sermons, devotionals, Bible studies, all sorts of other stuff. If you want to try it out for yourself... Head on over to the blog, head on to bridgechicago.tumble.com, head on over to unclegland.com, or follow us on various social medias, and we are having a 
48 hour trial period. You'll find a link. You send us your email. We'll confirm it. And then you will get a link that is good for 48 hours, courtesy of our friend and web genius, Adam Whedon. Woo. Hook that up for us. So that's the best way to find out what Bridgebox is about. Maybe you're, maybe you're a little more adventurous. Mm. Maybe you like to live on the edge. Maybe you would have a pirate werewolf boyfriend and you nice. say, I don't, I don't need, I don't need to check it out. I don't need samples. I just want to sign up. I want to get involved. I want to get in it. That's bold. You go to missionusa.com slash Bridgebox. You sign up. You'll get your first one as soon as you do. $8 a month. You can also sign up for the Lee Younger version, missionusa.com slash BBLY. Or you can email me, Matt, at missionusa.com. Get the super secret link to get both of those $16 a month worth of stuff for only $12. All right, we're move on to our first question or here. are you chicken? <laughs> I just like adding that you know, to that the end. in the audience. Every single time. <laughs> that's yeah, good. that's great. Just, just to see Matt get mad. Yes. That could be the subtitle of the show. <laughs> All right. First question comes in anonymous on Tumblr inbox, and it says, My closest friends and family are atheists. I thought I had a responsibility to witness or something because I'm the closest one to them that is Christian. People have been saying that I have the greatest opportunity and potential, but I've been putting it off. Now I'm confused about how you said that it's near impossible to witness to family and friends. What should my role be? Love them and trust that if it's God's will, they'll come to Christ or be more proactive or both. Jed, why don't you start us off? Thank you so much for your question. Um, and uh, we should say it's really, really tough to have people that you love and that you care about and that for now just seem to have no yeah. interest in the Lord or spiritual stuff. It's a tough place to be. Um, yeah. All of us can relate to that. All of us know what that's like. And, and we're sorry that you're dealing with that. You said that you thought you had a responsibility to witness uh, to them. And you do. The mm. question is, how do we do that effectively? That's really the key thing. And the thing I'd like to encourage you is that the place to start doesn't involve words at all. Uh, the place to start has to do with how you live your life. And here's the thing I'd like to encourage you to focus on, again, as the place to start, is earning a respect. Um, the way that the way I've found that, that works best to do that with people that are not believers is to live out your faith in a way that garners their respect, even if they don't agree with what you believe. Right, right. So, for example... If you go and serve um, people who are going through a rough time, that could be uh, people who are homeless, that could be um, teen moms, that could be uh, people who don't have enough to eat, people who are in prison or in jail, um, and you go and serve those people, particularly do something about their physical needs, um, your friends and family will respect that. Uh, mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that they'll be ready to become Christians tomorrow. That doesn't mean that they will agree with you on things, but they will look at that and they will say, I respect that. Um, they, they may not say those words out loud. They may not say that to you, but they, they will. All of us uh, on this podcast have friends and family members who are not Christians and not looking to be a very secular people, but who deeply respect the work that we do. Um, right. Look at it and say, hey, uh, if I was ever going to be about something spiritual or religious, that's the kind of thing I would want it to be. So I think the key thing for you, my friend, is to begin asking the Lord to give you a sense of a burden for a group of people to serve. Um, I think it's fine to try a few different things. Again, where you are, but there's a homeless shelter near you. There's definitely some kind of jail facility, uh, nursing homes. Jed, can you can you just walk, define the term burden for us a little bit? I feel like that gets a little over-emotionalized sometimes. That's a, that's a great, great call. Um, burden is a word that gets overly uh, used and, and uh, poorly defined. What I would encourage you to do is to ask the Lord to help you to see through his eyes the difficulties that other people are dealing with. 
And then here's, I would, I would pray that. I would go mm-hmm. to the Lord and say, Lord, I want you to help me to, to have a sense of your perspective on the difficulties that, that other people are dealing with. And then I would try to go to where those people are. So that could be one time ladling soup at um, a homeless shelter, uh, one time going and visiting at a uh, nursing home, you know, something along those lines, and ask the Lord to give you a, an emotional sense of empathy for the people that you are dealing with that day. Um, uh, And the thing that you're looking for is, whose difficulties do I identify with? Whose, whose difficulties feel, and again, we're talking about emotions here, whose difficulties feel real to me as I am here in proximity to them? Let me give you an example of what I mean. The, one of the key struggles of, of, of elderly folks who are in long-term care in some sort of nursing home is the isolation and the loneliness. And it may be that as you go and interact with us, you just feel their loneliness. Mm-hmm, and it's just, mm-hmm, it's just mm-hmm. palpable to you. Yeah. That is a burden. It's a a burden of love. Exactly right. It's a burden of God's love. And I see this suffering. I have to do something about it. Perhaps if you went to a homeless shelter, one of the key needs there is for dignity, just Mm -hmm. that someone would treat me like a human being. And as you you work with people, even just that one time, just that sense of, I see how disrespected you've been by everyone around you. And I just... I feel offended by that on your behalf. Mm. That would be a sense of of a burden of love. Ask God for that and then go look for that. If you can find that sense of a burden of love, start working with those people. It doesn't need to be uh, every day, but if you can do that, you know, once a week, every couple weeks, two things will happen. Your friends and family who are not Christians, they will respect it. I Mm. I promise you that's true. But the second thing is it will transform your walk. Um, it, it will do more for your walk, and you will learn out of doing that how to talk to your friends and family when they are ready to talk about things. You'll 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 learn the skills that you need for that moment when it comes. I think that's all great stuff. And uh, Lee, why don't you uh, pick pick this up and talk a little bit about? I like what Jed was saying about um, what it means to live as an example, and but that doesn't mean living the most exemplary super Christian life, right? Yeah, I think that one of the things that we often feel is, well, if I'm the only Christian that that my family knows, then I better keep on my toes. I better do this as well as I possibly can. And the thing here is that um, that's not actually the thing that we want to show people. Um, the, The best thing for you in this situation is to be you to be the real you, to uh, to live the actual life that you have in Christ, which means that sometimes you're having a great day, sometimes you're having a terrible week. Live out where your faith is honest and messy and real. Be vulnerable with them. Trust them with your struggles and difficulties and stuff like that. Show them a full picture of what it actually looks like when a real human being walks with God. That doesn't mean you never screw up. It doesn't mean you never sin. It doesn't mean you can handle all of your problems on your own, quite the opposite. It means that you're a person just like everybody else, a person who needs mercy and grace and forgiveness. Show them that. Uh, show them what it means to know that you're forgiven, to know to to know and rely on the love God has for you, not on your own behavior or awesomeness or anything like, else like that. Just in, in short, don't put up a front. Just be you. Because the thing that can really put people off is this idea of, if I get on that Jesus thing, then apparently I have to be perfect. Yeah. And 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 if the thing that you show them is, no, I'm just like you. It's just that I I know the love of God, and I have been forgiven, and I am, I'm finding a purpose and a meaning to my life that is fulfilling and good. These are the kinds of things that actually draw people into wanting to know God. I, I think... One thing that we should point out about this is you, you say in your question 
that I feel a responsibility. And one thing about this is that you're you're not actually responsible for anyone coming to know Jesus. You don't have the ability to save anyone, and yeah. God doesn't expect you to save anyone. There are people that that God is putting you in a place where he's calling you to reach out to people, and that's a very good thing. But make no mistake about it, he is the one who who uh, goes into people's hearts and turns the key in those locks and and opens the door to himself. He is the one who's able to do that. It's not this is not uh, something on you that you have to make this happen. And that's a very key element. And I think understanding that will allow you and and free you up to just live your real life, the the messy true faith that you have. That's absolutely right. And Glenn, maybe you can pick up on this idea of the pressure isn't on you, but there still are proactive things you can do. Absolutely, Ryan. Uh, what you're what you're looking at and what we're talking about is the difference between witnessing and evangelizing. Yeah, which witnessing is is, is simply setting up uh, what Christianity is and giving people giving people a living picture of what that's like. Uh, you should be a witness. I am certain that you already are a witness yeah. and and i imagine a pretty decent one uh, uh maybe even a really great one uh so absolutely you should be a witness you should be proactive the question is whether you're the best person for them uh in terms of uh, of making that uh decision of faith to to start their relationship with god uh, the analogy that I use, uh, in, in, and I may have mentioned on the podcast, imagine that you had a boil in a very, very, very sensitive and personal area of your anatomy. Now, let's say also that you have a cousin that you uh, think very well of that is a member of your family and so forth and also happens to be a doctor. If you have to get this boil lanced and then... Uh, maybe swabbed with some form of ointment. Do you go to your cousin? You know you don't. <laughs> or do you go to sort of a complete stranger and thank God <laughs> for the anonymity? Again. Uh, you know, the, there's a reason why uh, people feel more comfortable talking to cab drivers and, and, and bartenders and so forth is the anonymity allows people to be honest and, and allows people to kind of start from scratch in, in a way. I think... Uh, some people uh, prefer it that way. In, in some cases, I think people deserve to start on sort of that sort of a clean slate uh, with their spiritual uh, doctor, so to speak. So I, I think it's about giving uh, them that kind of freedom to recognize uh, I can be, I can start the ball rolling, but yeah. someone else may be the one to help them make that decision of faith and help them grow in their in their walk. I think. Within that, though, you're, you should be proactive, and that's what you're asking about. You should be proactive. You should every now and then say in a very loving and very sweet way, you know I'm still praying for you, and you also know one of these days I'd really like to corner you and talk to you about this Jesus thing. When you're ready, you tell me, and I love you anyway, and, and it's all fine, and it doesn't matter, and you're not going to hurt my feelings, but just so you know, that's something I would really like to talk to you about someday. If you find yourself open and find yourself wanting to talk to somebody about that, I hope you give me a shot to at least discuss it. Uh, and I can hand you off to someone else who uh, you can kind of uh, take things to the next level with. Uh, but just so you know, I am praying for you, and I do, I, I do 
want your spiritual development to be the best it possibly could be. I think you're absolutely right. One of the things you mentioned there, which is a good place to start, is you can uh, you can pod this all work off on other people. Mm-hmm. But you don't you you're being proactive does not mean explaining the whole of your faith to them and praying a sinner's prayer with them yeah. in that moment. Right. Proactive can be, hey, it's Easter. We do a nice sunrise service. You want to come to the sunrise service? You want right. to you want to come to the thing? Hey, here's this here's this band I really like and they're Christian. I know it's not your thing, but I think the the music's really cool anyway and you might dig it. There's mm. there's a lot of stuff you can do to be proactive to what we would refer to a lot in the mission field as planting seeds mm-hmm. as opposed to uh you don't have to be the one. As a matter of fact, the Bible is pretty clear that oftentimes it is one who plants and another who reaps. Yep. Yeah. As they put it that way. There's a lot of um I think the thing you get to the crash your question here is there's a lot of pressure that you can put on yourself that other people put on you, which is not only not doesn't make any sense. It's actually totally against what's in the Bible about witnessing because the people in Jesus's hometown didn't listen to what he had to say. Right. There's a story. He goes back and he's preaching the exact same sermons. He's the kind of sermons he's been preaching in other temples. He's going around. And the first thing the people in the town say is, isn't that Mary's kid? I'm not listening to him. It's a carpenter's son. Yeah, that's the carpenter's son. And his exact, you probably heard the phrase, you may not know where it came from. It said, only in his hometown is a prophet without honor. So if Jesus, not not even his own family, just people who had known him a long time, said, I, yeah, it, it's probably right, but I can't, I can't hear it coming from that source. Yeah. You know then uh, it doesn't make any sense to put pressure on yourself to be so holy or have such a good witness, whatever that means, to overcome that. It's a very natural thing, as Glenn pointed out, that it's, as I put it on the blog at one point, it's very hard to accept knowledge about the mysteries of the universe from someone you have seen wet themselves on the jungle gym. Yeah. yeah. It's not necessarily right or good, but um, that's, that's just part is. of, that's kind of the way it is. Yeah. So that's that's okay. You can do all these things that are little planting seeds and having opportunities, and that will bear out down the line. And the most important thing is the thing Lee pointed out. God's in charge of this. You're not. You're not going to save anybody. You're not going to move anybody's heart. That's God's deal. But you can be attuned to the little ways in which he's asking you to be involved in that. Amen. All right. We're, before we move on to our next question here, we're going to take you to my interview with Andrew Peterson. Andrew Whoa. is is a great singer-songwriter. He is one of our favorites. He's also an author. So I got to talk to him a little bit about narrative and story. He, wow. he does songs. He does books. He does The Rabbit Room, which is a website he has that's all about kind of that kind of um, Oxford Inklings, which is like J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis and those guys. And he really gets into that idea of if all you listen to is the Christian radio, that's that's fine. If you if you hate your ears, but you know, <laughs> yeah. so there there is Christian music out there that is not worship music. There's worship music which is great, and there, we play a lot of it here. But that's all very kind of, it's very direct. It's very I and you. And there's something powerful about this idea of getting caught up in a story, yeah, and using that to reveal something about ourselves. And that's as, as Andrew mentions there. That's the way Jesus is telling parables. So. I wanted to talk to somebody about story and couldn't think of a better person than Andrew. So he's going to talk, wow. he and I are going to talk about kind of story and art and a lot of that stuff. And Glenn, who I'm guessing hasn't listened to this interview yet, even though I emailed around to everyone, is being very fake excited. I'd love to hear this interview. Well, I think we should go there right now. So, Andrew, I guess my largest question overall for you is. Of all the things you do, the songwriting and the Wing Feather Saga and the Behold and all that stuff, um, you use stories and narrative to communicate these points. And 
you know, that it's in a, we're in a Christian culture that isn't always doing that. You know, there's a lot of worship songs that are just kind of lay it out and 10 ways to do this Christian books. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but why is narrative such a powerful tool for you to use? Well, I think uh, part of it is just, that's just how I'm, uh, that's just what I gravitate to. You know, I don't have any real reasoning behind it other than that's what excites me. And, um, and when I, you know, when I was a kid, um, you know, I, I, it's not like I don't like, uh, books on theology or, you know, uh, whatever it may be like that stuff all has a place, but I just, for whatever reason, ever since I was little, it was a certain flavor of story that really fired me up. And, um, and so it took part, part of my story, uh, um, like my journey as a Christian has been, um, kind of having this realization that, um, that, that all that stuff that excited me that I used to think of as very separate from Christianity, because, um, you know, like in the, in the culture that I grew up in, uh, which was, you know, had some really wonderful things about it too. Uh, there was, there was not much, there was a really hard line between church stuff and, and say music or movies or, books like adventure stories, whatever it may be. Um, that there wasn't any overlap between those two things, you know? Uh, so I felt conflicted because the things that really excited me were these movies that I loved and the books that my brother and I read and all this kind of stuff. And I just kind of felt almost like, well, you know, Christianity is over there and this is over here and, uh, and never the twain shall meet. So, so having this slow realization, um, as a young man, like in, in college, um, that the Bible was a narrative, um, and that, you know, one of the best ways to understand our own lives in Christ is perhaps as a story, um, that Jesus, you know, said that everything he, he, he hardly spoke unless he, it was in parables. So, so I don't know, it's just like Jesus himself is the one who kind of sanctified storytelling as a, as a, a way to, um, proclaim the truth, right? And so uh, my friend Nate Wilson, N.D. Wilson, said uh, that if God does it, then uh, then it's like, it's like we have permission as Christians to do it too, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so so if, if there's a literary device that God uses in the Bible, then 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 as writers, we have, you know, fair game, it's a fair play, you know? So, you know, all the foreshadowing that he uses, all of the, the stories, the parables, the poetry, the uh, the history, whatever it may be, it's kind of like we, we have a precedent that this is a way that truth gets communicated, and uh, and the press, it's Jesus who who does it. You know, God does it. So, so anyway, it's a long, sorry, it's a rambly answer, but my point is just that I think the reason that I uh, that I gravitate to it now is that you know when I was nineteen, I guess maybe eighteen years old, I kind of publicly committed my life to the ministry of some kind. Um, whatever that meant at the time, you know, yeah. but in my mind, I kind of told God, I was like, whatever gifts you've given me, um, I'm turning them over, um, use them however you want for the building of your kingdom. And, and at the time, you know, the verse where it says he's able to do more than we ask or imagine, it's kind of like, I never could have imagined that that would have meant that God would allow me to write a fantasy novel, <laughs> you know, Absolutely. So to say, say, okay, I've been, I've given you this gift. And for the building of your kingdom, I'm going to let you do the thing you always wanted to do anyway. You know, what an amazing thing is that? So, uh, I, yeah, that's the thing is I just realized, like, because of Jesus, this idea that David Dark, this author, said uh, there's not a secular molecule in the universe. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, this is all God's dominion, and he can use whatever he wants. And so 
I'm just thrilled that he's kind of um, allowed me to, to to use the language that I loved as a boy, um, whether it was music or or you know adventure stories, and um, and use that for the the hopefully the building of his kingdom. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Is has there been a journey of um, not judging your gifts? You know, in that process, like you're saying, which I think is a great point, and one I know I've had to come through in some of the ministry stuff we do of if God made me this way, I must this the way I am must be usable for the kingdom as opposed to trying to <laughs> fit the mold of other people. Yeah, I, I think that's that's pretty accurate. Um, you know, you, there's a the trick is is uh, you know there's a fine line between saying, "Well, I'm going to do it my way." Um, because you made me this way <laughs> yeah. and taking, taking like uh, who Michael Card said one time that your community defines your calling. Mm. And I love that idea because, you know, if you get like, uh, you know, anybody who's watched the opening episodes of American Idol, when you see the people who clearly can't sing, yeah, who are standing there going, you know, but they've got their people around them kind of going like, Oh no, you can do this. You can do this. And it's like, no, you need to listen to some wise people in your life. You know what I mean? So that's an extreme example, but I think that there's, there's something to this idea that like, um, I'm standing too close to the painting to be able to see what it is that I'm gifted at. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, so you need people around you to go to call, to, to name the things that they see in you, you know, your, your church community, your wife, your children. And, and that's how you kind of find your way into the thing that God has called you to. I think that's a kind of a, good principle. Um, and so, uh, so in that sense, you take the, the way that you're made, the gifting that you have, and then you go to the people in your life who know you well, um, and who will tell you the truth. And you go, this is what I'm thinking. What do you think? Like, it, does the Holy Spirit, like, like, is it, am I just deluding myself or is this, there's something to it? Does that make sense? And yeah, so, that... uh, it would be easy to kind of go, well, this is the way that I made it. I'm just going to go do this when really maybe this, this, the way that you're made might be one of the things in you that needs to die. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, um, and so, uh, so finding a way to submit your gifting or your dreams or whatever to um, to the Lord is is really hard. But I think that's the that's the thing. I think you're absolutely right, and it's something we try to um, point out to young people a lot. Is you, if you don't have those people in your life who can give you that outside perspective, you just it just handicaps your your walk with the Lord and your whole life in in ways that you can't see until you found those people. It's kind of one of those uh -huh. things where you look back and go, "Oh, what? How have I been trying to navigate this blind without these people?" Yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. and what is that like? As a because maybe people don't understand how collaborative a process creating music is, even if it's kind of what I guess might be genre one guy with a guitar and music. But what's that? collaborative process like in creating art what's it like telling a story together oh man yeah it, well it's somebody said uh one time i forget who said this originally but they said that there's no such thing as a solitary christian yeah might have been eugene peterson um that that there's like the, the same thing is in some ways i think true of art there's no such thing as a solitary artist there's this mm. romanticized picture of the the author sitting in the room just banging out stuff and um, there is a, a sense in which, yeah, you do spend large amounts of time <laughs> alone when you're, when you're make, writing songs or books or whatever. But you also, the, in order for the thing to be refined and to turn into something better than you can do, it's, uh, 
its community. I mean, so, you know, for example, I mean, I'm making an album as, as a great, I'm making a new record right now. And so oh, that's fantastic. I, I have to, I, I have to learn this, this process all over again. It's always painful. Uh, it's always painful because you, you, you kind of, uh, you know, you're putting it all out there. You're going, yeah. well, here's this song I wrote in my room the other day that I like. I think it might be good, but I need you to tell me what you think. And that's a scary question to ask, right? Um, especially when the person you're playing it for is your producer or another songwriter who's way better than you are. Yeah. Um, and you're kind of having to go to them and say, well, what do you think about this? Um, and so uh, so then, you know, the producer's job is to take this this lump of clay that you've written and you and he work together to try to make it into something useful or beautiful or whatever it may be. And so uh, it's... Uh, you know, it's it's hard to explain. It's like uh, last night, for example, I did a show um, for the Beekner Institute, which is in uh, King University in East Tennessee. I'm a huge Frederick Beekner fan. He influenced me greatly when I discovered his writing. I am and so jealous really cool of to get to... every part of that sentence. Beekner, East oh. Tennessee, and <laughs> that's where I'm from. But yeah, and oh, actually, yeah. not to cut you off in the middle of the story, but Beekner did change me, and you did that because I read Godric because it was on the Rabbit Room. Oh, that's such a great book, isn't it? Oh, it's unbelievable. Um, yeah, so good. And so, uh, so I was so last night. I'm playing for all these, you know. Uh, it was a general audience, but there were a lot of Beekner fans in the audience, and you know. So, like, <laughs> I would stop and go, "Oh yeah, this is a line that I stole from Frederick Beekner." And then I would, <laughs> I would play the song, and then, uh, then I would, I, I kind of just because it was the way the night felt, I, I pointed out all of the little literary influences that showed mm-hmm. up in the songs. And it was just like almost embarrassing how much I had stolen from wiser people. It was like, well, this is a song inspired by Lucy Shaw, the poet. Here's one that came from C.S. Lewis. Here's one that came from Frederick Beekner. And I kept like, as I would sing, I would be like, Oh yeah, I didn't stop and tell them all the Tolkien references, <laughs> you know, that I was making. Uh, so the, the point is, it's like uh, art is made in community. Even if you don't know the people that you're making it with, you know, um, so, so all of these works of art, songs and, and books and stories uh, in the kind of greater community, plus the people that are right here in your life speaking into you all the time, all of that goes into this into this pot, that uh, the stew that is uh, ends up giving birth to whatever meal you happen to be cooking. So, um, yeah, I, for me, it's like there is, I, I would agree with the idea, there is no such thing as a solitary artist. You're always either standing on the shoulders of wiser uh, people who who you know came before you, or leaning heavily on the shoulders of the people who are in your community. Um, it's, uh, it's it's the only way I know to do it. It's a it's a fascinating thing, and it's so true. It's uh, the other, one of the other things I wanted to ask you about is actually that very thing of um, since I followed your music, especially and even the writing, you've you're very upfront about your heroes, and whether that's as you say, you know, referencing. Uh, Beekner, C.S. Lewis in these songs or um, playing the Rich Mullins uh, covers a lot. Mm-hmm. What's what? How do you find the balance between, because we kind of talk about the idea, like we, I do, I've started preaching at our service in the last three years for, that we have in Chicago. Uh-huh. And I've always told people that, you know, the first year I was just doing an impression of my boss because he's the <laughs> one I'd heard do it. But what was, uh-huh. what's been your journey of, having heroes wanting to, you know, expose maybe if you're not at the Beekner Institute, maybe an opportunity to expose an audience to Beekner and finding those things that are you that are, that you're bringing to it. Uh-huh. 
Yeah, well, I think uh, that's like, there's this book called My Name is Asher Lev um, Mm -hmm. by a guy named Kayim Potok. I don't know exactly how to say his last name, Um, but it's about this uh, Hasidic Jewish family and the little boy Asher uh, is a prodigy. Like, he's this amazing artist. And so it's a wonderful novel. I named my middle son Asher after um, Asher Lev. But the... the, uh, yeah, it's a fascinating story, but uh, but in it, you know, there's this kid, 12-year-old Jewish kid, who is incredible at art, and it's, there's this conflict because his community doesn't know really what to do with the fact that he's so good, and so his dad ends up sending him, I think, to Italy, where the kid studies under a master, and the kid ends up, uh, I'd never kind of read this, um, never really understood what this meant, you know, until I read this book, but the, the, the master makes the kid go and draw the, the Pieta, the, the sculpture, mm-hmm. I think by Michelangelo. I can't remember who did it. I should yeah, know. Michelangelo. But, uh, anyway, but he has to, he has to sketch it again and again and again. And then he has to go and you have to memorize, uh, you know, a Da Vinci painting, whatever, the Mona Lisa, whatever it is, and paint it so that he can paint the entire thing from memory. He has to paint it a million times, you know, yeah. this poor kid is just, and so he's studying every line and every curve, you know? And so, uh, like it was, ama- it's amazing to me to think, to, to, to imagine having that kind of discipline that before you ever paint your own painting, you have to memorize exactly how the masters did it first. Right. And so, uh, I think, um, that principle holds really true. It's kind of like, uh, if I, there's nothing wrong with me as a songwriter sitting down and saying, I'm going to try my best to write a Paul Simon song today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I will never ascend to those mountains as a songwriter, but I'm going to try dog on it. You know, I'm going to at least like make it to the foothills of those mountains if I can and, and try to just shoot for just emulating the masters. Like you look at the guys that like go, I'm going to write a Springsteen song or a Bob Dylan song today and listen to that stuff and try to go, what were they doing? And what kind of chords were they using? What imagery were they drawing from? And you try really hard to just like take those things that, that they were doing um, as well as you can understand it and try to just incorporate it into what you're doing. And then you become your own artist. You know, I, I think that's what happens. I, all right. I hope <laughs> one day <laughs> that, that'll be the case. And so, I, I mean, I still think that all my songs just sound like, like uh, either Rich Mullins ripoffs or, or, or James Taylor or Paul Simon, which uh, in the, at the end of the day, I'm totally happy with that. Like I'm, uh, if somebody said that my song sounded like a James Taylor song, I would take it as a giant compliment. Not yeah. like I, not, not like I'd ripped him off. Um, even though that's maybe what I'm doing. So, uh, it, so yeah, I think that's the thing is you go, there, there's nothing, uh, nothing wrong with, with, uh, sketching Michelangelo sculptures, uh, feebly and trying to, trying to shoot for the mountains, you know? So, uh, I think that's the thing is like, I try to read good books, you know, I try to try to go, even if it's stuff that you don't like at first, you go, well, mm-hmm. everybody says that the brothers Karamazov is a, is one of the great novels ever. I don't really feel like reading a 900 page book, <laughs> but I want to be a good writer. So I'm going to read it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, so if you're going to take your creative life seriously, then sometimes it means eating your vegetables and, uh, and lo and behold, sometimes you find out that you love kale. <laughs> <laughs> so, so anyway, that, that's, that's the best way I know to answer that. That's fantastic. Also, if you're not going to ever name an album, Sometimes You Love Kale, I'm going to go ahead and steal that for one of our <laughs> projects. Cause that just yeah. that needs to be out there. Okay. That's, a, that's a powerful spiritual I, metaphor. I, I give it to you. <laughs> Thank I, you very with much. With my blessing. <laughs>
Well, Andrew, that's about our time. Thank you so much for uh, being generous with your time. It was great to talk to you. Man, thanks so much for your time, too. I just, tell, uh, tell our mutual friends that I said hello. I hope you guys have a great day. All right, we do want to thank Andrew for uh, sitting down and talking to me. That was a lot of fun. If you want to find him, you can find him online at andrew-peterson.com. You can buy all of his CDs and find some writing at rabbitroom.com. If you're looking to get into his music you've never done it before, he actually just released a kind of best of compilation, uh, kind of looking back at his career. It's on iTunes. It's on the Rat Room. It's called After All These Years. You can look for that. It's got a lot of my favorite songs on there. If you've never listened to Andrew before, it's a great way to get kind of introduced in a quick way. And if you're interested in the book, you can go to wingfeathersaga.com. So you can also find him on Twitter at Andrew Peterson Music. You can find him on lots of places. He's a really cool guy, and you want to be involved in the things he is doing. All right, one of the things I talked to Andrew about there was um, his influences. He talked about kind of um, Rich Mullins and Paul Simon and trying to write songs like them and not being worried about kind of being original or being derivative or just trying to emulate the masters and finding his own way in there. I was really fascinated by that. And I was thinking about really, I know I've done that in my own life and I was betting these guys have too. So I think uh, for this little bit, we're just going to kind of look more at that idea of kind of people we've stolen from over the years and how we fold that into being our own thing. Lee, why don't you start us off? Um, yeah, I, I think one of my earliest influences, one of the biggest influences I I've had in not only in songwriting, but actually, uh, in a in a weird way, in preaching lately is uh, is actually Paul McCartney, uh, you know, from the Beatles. But one of the things I I loved about Paul McCartney was uh, once I started learning how to play guitar and started learning, um, you know, uh, you know, kind of putting chords together and trying to write my own songs. I got this giant book of all of the chord charts for every Beatles song that they ever did, every and every note on every instrument that was played in all the recordings. And I remember going to one of my favorite songs. It was just a really poppy, fun song to sing called We Can Work It Out. It's a big, huge Beatles song, super famous. And when I was trying to learn how to play it, I realized that song was really complex. Like, the, it was really, there was a whole lot going on. There's a tempo change, which is really difficult to do. The chords were nowhere near as easy as they sounded. But then if you just put the song on and listen to it, it sounds like the easiest, most simple, basic thing you've ever, and you can sing it for, you know, after you've heard it once. But it was really, really complex. There's a lot of cool stuff going on. And that was something that I've always tried to do in songwriting, to pull off something cool and something something that has a lot going on, but pull it off in a simple and catchy enough way that anybody can get right into it. And lately, I've really been trying to to kind of approach preaching in that way. That, you know, when, when you're preaching, a lot of times you're talking about stuff that's, stuff that's deep and stuff that's difficult, sometimes stuff that people don't want to hear. And I've talked a lot, actually, with, uh, with, with Glenn and Jed and Matt about this stuff lately. Just the idea of coming up with something, coming up with a way to say difficult or hard to hear things or complex theological things in a way that is so sticky that it feels like, oh, I understand exactly what he's saying. Um, or, oh, I can totally hear that. I, I, can, I can almost, as soon as the sermon's over, I can almost say that back to him. And, uh, and so that was a really kind of a weird influence to, in kind of my own speaking. And I would say another one that I would point out is actually... Um, uh, J.K. Rowling and Charles Dickens, the which are they're just novelists, both British novelists. But 
Um, of course, J.K. Rowling wrote the Harry Potter series. Dickens, you know, wrote A Christmas Carol and and uh, Oliver Twist and all kinds of you know David Copperfield, all kinds of amazing novels. But one thing that I love about those guys is that um, is that both of those authors have the ability to give us the full breadth of a story. Like a lot of novelists, you read them and like everything is really serious or everything is really silly or everything is really whatever else. But those guys have an ability to tell you a story that has everything in it. Like it has sad stuff. It has scary stuff. It has intensity. There's uh, hilarious and ridiculous things. And what I love, what I always loved about their books is that's the way life is. That's the way real stories are. They're not just either sad or difficult or you know or anything like that or or hilarious and and the way that I've kind of used that in my own speaking and teaching and writing and stuff like that about about the bible is to really think like when you look at a gospel story to think about you know like Jesus feeding the 5000 or something if I'm going to tell that to a room full of high school kids I want to think about that so much and just get my head into that story so that you can tell it in a way that has all the serious and the cool elements, but also has like the silly and the weird stuff. And in other words, learn how to tell a, a, a more robust and real story. And so, um, so those guys were really cool influences on me just in kind of how I put together message and, and do teaching and stuff like that. That's good stuff. Glenn, what about you? Uh, for me, I think uh, uh, the, the a huge influence in my life really is the space program. Uh, growing up, uh, my dad worked for the space program, uh, so I grew up around NASA, the uh, Johnson Space Center there in, in Houston, Texas. Um, <coughs> and uh, as y'all may know, uh, Jed uh, graduated with a degree in engineering, and uh, I I don't think we can really express what it is we do in ministry without describing it in engineering terms. Totally. There's really just an engineering mindset to everything that we do. Uh, in that sense that they had of nothing's impossible, just the, the idea of that, the language of that. Um, uh, I, I remember my, my dad talking about they had uh, uh, bid for a contract to, uh, 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 to make something for the space program, and they brought in a number of experts from around the world uh, all of whom uh, came through just sort of one at a time and said it's it's impossible to do the thing that you've just won the contract to do and and how he just immediately dismissed all of them fired them and never to be seen again sure spite and, science yeah and just kept kept going till they found uh you know a few rednecks that said well you know if you got the money, I got the time. We'll we'll fit, we're going to wangle something here. There's going to be a lot of duct tape in this budget. <laughs> yeah, exactly right, and 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 of course they managed to accomplish it. Um, so that's a huge, huge influence on me. And I remember when I was young, uh, seeing the Ben Kingsley Gandhi movie when it came out, and I actually saw it with my dad. Uh, and my dad kind of, if the best way I can think of to describe him, he's sort of like Clint Eastwood, only. Uh, much more intense. Sure. So he didn't have the uh, the carefree <laughs> joie de vie of a Clint Eastwood. Exactly. The whimsy of Clint Eastwood. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, and um, Gandhi w- was not at all his type of guy, if you can dig what I'm saying. But he was. I remember watching it, and and he was very impressed. And you really pay attention as a kid to what impresses your parents. I think, mm-hmm. and that made it made a huge impact on me. 
But he saw that in engineering terms. He's like, the whole revolution, no bombs, no planes, no tanks, no army, gets it done. That's an elegant design. Sure. It's very good engineering, uh-huh. you know. Uh, so, um, uh, it, but a young, uh, at a young age, kind of being impressed by that and then uh, kind of following the natural thread from Gandhi to Martin Luther King and the idea of here's a Christian person uh, and his his... Christian's convictions leading him down a path of what today we would call activism, really. Mm-hmm. And just the idea of, I loved the idea that, that, that being a Christian sometimes meant rebelling against society. I was a young kid, and I loved the idea of rebellion. That, was, that came really natural to me. I, you I haven't felt, grown out of that. I, definitely not. I, I felt a real calling towards sure. uh, rebellion. And, mayhem. Uh, mayhem, chaos, uh, causing all sorts of uh, disruptions. Uh, I, I love the idea of that being combined with Christianity, uh, so uh, and I loved his preaching. Actually, I heard a lot of his uh, you know recordings of his old sermons and stuff. Uh, wanted to be that kind of preacher. Didn't didn't turn out that way uh, for sure. Uh, but uh, I think for me, those were sort of the key influences. Totally. What you, Judd? Well, I think um, you know, one thing that that's been actually a big influence on me is comic books. Sure. Um, you bet. Uh, because it, it indulges my desire to dress in tights and leap from the top of tall buildings. And, you know, really, Jen? And, it's probably the healthiest way to uh, live that desire out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let the Flash do it for you, Jen. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but the thing about comic books, you know, and particularly, you know, um, you know uh, well, I was going to say not Superman, but that's actually not true. The thing about comic books, you know, but particularly more modern ones, is they actually are super open about spirituality. And about yeah, spiritual yeah. stuff, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, even when it's not, you know, a point of view that I would agree with or, or subscribe to as a Christian, I think Spawn is a really good example oh, of yeah. that. I yeah, mean, uh, it, there's so much spiritual content and there's no coyness. There's no beating around the bush. It's just yeah, they don't apologize about it. Exactly. We're just going to talk about God now and, mm-hmm. and, and asking tough questions and, 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 you know, you know, really getting into it kind of on the you know far opposite end of the literary scale. I think guys like Dostoevsky with, you know, books like the Brothers Karamazov were again. And there is a ton of um, direct spiritual content in right. in that story, and it's incredible. And I think what's interesting in both cases is the spiritual content, whether I agree with it or not, it's unapologetic. Um, we're not you know, we're not being mm. around the bush at all, and it it amplifies the story. Um, right. You know, I mean, the comic books uh, Spawn is not lacking in excitement because there's right. moments where people are talking about God. Right. right, um, right. And in the Brothers Karamazov... No, no one comes out in a sweater in, in the Spawn comic book. Exactly right. Um, yeah. Exactly right. You know, and, and in the Brothers Karamazov, it's not, you know, lacking in depth and refinement because we're having a conversation about God, right. you know, at, at one point. And in both cases, it's, you know, the, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. And that's been a big influence on me because the, the work that I do for Glenn here in Chicago is all creating media and it all needs to be direct. It needs to be no beating around the bush, no playing games or pulling punches. Just here's what we're talking about. You know, here's here's it, asking tough questions, you know, offering difficult ideas to wrestle with. And I think seeing that that can be done and done well and can work and can have uh, all of the artistry and and all of the um, intellectual honesty and, and all of the theological depth all at once, I think, you know, has kind of given me, a, you know, uh, the if nothing else, the belief that maybe someday I could get there, too. So that's great stuff. I'll throw in uh, two of mine here. And I've, these, I was thinking about this this week. And these are the two biggest ones. And it's a fun one to say back to back. I'm going George Carlin and Mr. Rogers. Right on. Wow. 
That okay. that's some range, right? Let me there. give you a quick explanation because that's a statement that warrants a quick explanation. Yeah, uh, it's a huge stand-up comedy geek growed up, and even now, but super super shy kid and didn't. As Glenn had mentioned in a previous episode, you know, I did not have the gift. Did not have the gift of talking. Mm-hmm. Still, many would argue still don't, but uh, love stand-up comedy. One of the things, particularly, a lot of people who are really good at it, but George Carlin in particular when I was a kid, um, there's this thing, as, it goes back to something Lee was talking about, about it's the way I try to look at scriptural stuff and message now. There's this thing of, Jerry Seinfeld does it too, if you don't know who George Carlin is, but kind of observe, observational comedy is what they call it, but it's saying, here's this thing you look at all the time. But here's this angle you didn't see on it, and that's why it's yeah. funny. You never Which, questioned it. A lot of what we do is saying, you do this behavior, or you've read this Bible, or whatever, and I don't think you've ever actually looked at it in this little slant that takes you out of your comfort zone mm. and makes you look at it in a different way. And yeah. um, actually, on the flip side of that, uh, I've actually read a lot of biographies of Mr. Rogers in the last few years, and just has actually become kind of one of my biggest heroes in the faith, but also in stuff. And a lot of um, what we're doing a lot of the uh, inspiration for writing this podcast in a weird way. Cause you may not have seen this. Um, Mr. Rogers started the, the story goes, he started the television show because he hated television. Yeah. Mm. He turned on the TV and it was uh, kind of the, uh, it's pretty tame by today's standards. It's kind of the fifties thing of zingers and insults and kind of Keystone cops knocking each other over and pies in the face. And it seems so aggressive. And he said, I feel like this medium can do better and I'm going to use it to do this. And that tenderness and that kind of, just irrevocable gentleness and just this is what it's going to be. But moving that, doing that in a way that moved forward and succeeded and not running away from the hard challenges of making something like that go, always something that's really stuck out to me. So I want to close this little section out by saying, we know a lot of the questions we get are, hey, I don't have this mentor in my life. I don't have these people. I don't know I'm looking for them, but in the meantime, you know, it's tough to find. We know that's tough to find. Now, we've all been blessed by having that. So a lot of the answers to a lot of these questions are, no, seriously, you got to find a mentor at some point. Sure. But in the meantime, you can fill that gap with people you don't know. Yeah. It's not ideal, but you can do it. But that doesn't look like I want to think like Tim Keller or I want to write like C.S. Lewis. You can look at okay, I like this book. I like this thing. I like this song. What do I like about it? What speaks to me about it? And then you kind of become this amalgam of all your influences as you do your own thing. There's nothing wrong with that. There's that's good, but you should look to influences to be a piece of the puzzle. Not Mm -hmm. I am going to be the next, the younger blankety blank. That's not really right. So that's a cool way of looking at all this. So when you, whether it's this podcast or uh, people you read online or preachers you like, you look at it, like it, like the person, but take that and make, start that process of making it into your own thing. All right, we're going to move on. Our last question here came in anonymously to our Tumblr inbox, and it starts out strong. I was speaking with a church friend who argued for the existence of soul ties. No. By, th- by showing me passages like 1 Samuel 18.1 and 1 Corinthians 6.16. I had my interpretation for these, deep friendship and emotional bond plus babies, respectively, but we had a different interpretation and I wasn't sure how to refute that. Why is one interpretation right and wrong and the other right? Who is to to determine or judge that distinction? Glenn, why don't you start us I'll determine and judge that (laughs) distinction right now. Holy cow, people. Uh, Why don't we start with those two specific biblical references? Okay, here's the thing. One of them is about David and Jonathan. The other one's about prostitutes. 
Now, if I have a problem in my dating life and you're trying to tell me about something called soul ties, and I say, is that a biblical concept? And you say, it sure is. And your references are, one, a verse about David and Jonathan, and two, about prostitutes. I'm going to ask you, the next question that's going to come out of my mouth is, are you calling my girlfriend a dude or a hoe? (laughs) Because those were the two examples you gave me. And if we're still confused of what might be wrong about this, we, we need to dive in, and that's really what we want to look at on, on this subject. But uh, the idea uh, uh, behind soul ties, the crazy idea, the wrong idea, the ridiculous idea behind soul ties is— Glenn, you're, you're sometimes so obfuscated, so you disagree with soul yeah, ties. Yeah, so I'm trying to be diplomatic. Oh. Um, here's the thing, is the idea that if you have premarital sex with someone, that you and this person have— a a spiritual connection that will bind the two of you in some sort of way that if you then try to be married to someone else and then to have sex with someone else, that you would still be bound to the other person and that you wouldn't be able to give yourself fully to the new person. Now, this, now, is a, this sounds like uh, some combination of paganism and hoodoo, as opposed to Christianity. Uh, then, uh, here's what's funny, is it's almost exactly that. Yeah. Uh, there's there's yeah. actually, in paganism, they have soul ties. It's a thing. It's a made up, yeah. like a, you know, cast a spell and do a thing and what have you. Uh, it, it It is... Um, a, a, a super crazy, ridiculous, silly, uh, made-up idea. Uh, you asked for a Bible reference uh, on that. You didn't get it. Uh, so now you're in a position of like, well, then who's to say? And that's really the question I, I, I want to ask you is why on earth does this sound remotely plausible to you? Why? Because I got to be honest with you. I think uh, this idea uh, 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 can't make sense. That's the problem I have here. There isn't a person with wisdom that you know. There isn't a person with wisdom, age, experience, uh, you know, counseling background, someone who knows the spiritual side of relationships, someone who knows the emotional side of relationships. They will come along and tell you that, yep, soul ties is definitely a thing. And I speak about that in my therapeutic practice all the time. I see what your problem is here, Mr. Jenkins. You've got soul ties. This is, it, it, it is just, it's what, uh, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a silly idea. Uh, and it is counter biblical. Uh, the idea that uh, what we uh, look at when we look at the New Testament is the idea that Jesus has taken all of our sin and paid the price for it, and that he has overcome, by his strength, he has overcome the the penalty and the price and the power that sin holds over us. So the idea that I could do something and that that would somehow overpower even Jesus, that <laughs> even he, I wouldn't be able to handle that as part of the rest of my relationship with him, but I have to do a special prayer, I have to read a special book, I have to come forward for a special smack on the forehead from you, or whatever the thing is. The idea that the devil has somehow 
uh, because of something I did wrong sexually, that I have I am in some special curse that uh, we have to 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 do some special thing with. I find that to be incredibly bad theology. Here's the thing: Are you afraid of dating? Come on. If you're afraid of dating, then the idea that that soul ties exist gives you a certain amount of comfort. Well, hey, I would be dating y'all. But, but soul ties. Soul ties. Who wants to get into that? Am I right? If you have that mentality, then you love the sound of soul ties. Soul ties sounds plausible to you because you don't want to get yep. into that world. You're you're too overwhelmed by it. You're too scared by it. And God bless you. That that makes perfect sense to me. That 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 dating would seem overwhelming and frightening and and where would I start and what if things went wrong and so on and so forth. But you're letting someone take that fear and and create bad theology out of that and letting that sound good to you. Uh, what you need to do, and we've mentioned this before recently in the podcast, and I'll send it around to these other guys. What you need to do is to have people who challenge the fears that you have in your life, to get you to be courageous where you're afraid, not baptizing those fears and turning that into a piece of bad theology and saying, yes, you need to avoid life and you need to take the things you're afraid of and, and run the opposite direction. That's the, your, your fears are the, the Holy Spirit's way of telling you don't go in there. Uh, uh, it, because we know that that's actually, fear is actually a tool that the enemy uses. So we, we want to um, uh, really, and I'll kick it around to these other guys to really break it down, but I, I really want to, to explore why does this make sense to you? I think that's a great question. I think, uh, Lee, why don't you break that down for us a little bit? Because I think one of the places where that does make a certain emotional sense to people is that uh, relationships are messy, and this is a way of making sense of that mess. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, we talk about this a lot on the podcast, that relationships are risky, and they are. Uh, if you get involved in a relationship, there is a huge, you know, there, there, at some point, you know, it, it may end, you might get hurt, you get your feelings hurt, there's a lot of difficulty involved in it. And certainly... Certainly, when we look at you know what goes on with sex, sex is more than just body parts touching. So, I mean, I think there has to be a very clear demarcation when we say like, look, there's there is there is a risk involved in getting involved with somebody you know sexually in that you know you're gonna you can have some heart hurt after that relationship's over or whatever, because it's not, it's not just body parts touching, but you know, the, the thing is when you look at the new Testament, you can say that about basically any sin. I mean, the way the Lord in, in, in the sermon on the Mount, the Lord talks about the, you know, the hatred we feel for other people. He's like, hate isn't just hate. You know, it's a very difficult for us to understand the depths of and the results and uh, of our uh, of the sinful stuff that we have going on in our hearts and minds and with our actions and everything. It's all deeper and more messy and more convoluted than we can even anticipate or understand. But the real question here is, sure, do I have a sin in my past? Yes. Do I have sexual sin in my past that I regret? Absolutely. But the real question is, what do we believe about Jesus and sin? And that's really the thing here is, can God heal a broken heart? How does, how does, how do I view God's grace? 
can God forgive sin? Can God overcome my stupid choices? Can he overcome my shameful past? And, and the answer is, of course he can. Here's the deal. You cannot out the grace of God. Amen. Um, you, you, sure, the stuff that we do, it has results and that we cannot calculate or prepare for. However, God is the one who, can, who is going to put us back together. He is going to wipe away every tear from every eye. You can't outrun his redeeming power. You can't outsin his grace. And so, sure, this stuff has consequences we can't see. But at the same time, Jesus has an answer for all of that that is, as the Apostle Paul put it, more than we can, more than we, beyond what we can ask or imagine. That's great stuff. And Jed, why don't you pick us up here? I think another, why don't you answer another one of the prongs that Glenn starts off with is if this sounds plausible, this sure. whole Soltai thing, where does one draw the line on crazy ideas? Hello. <laughs> I would like to hear about that as well. Well, let's, as my wife would say, let's find the left and right boundaries. All right. Well, here's here's one that I know a person asked this question. I know you and I agree on. If you're walking down the street and, and a person with a wild look in their eyes and unkempt hair rushes to you and grabs you by the shoulders to say, the Martians are coming. They're going to be here tonight. The Martians are coming. You would not take them seriously. You. Well, who's to say? Well, no, in that moment, you say, I'm a friend, I'm pretty sure, I know you're concerned, yeah. but I, I don't think there are Martians. I, right. I don't think they are. I think we're okay. Right. I, I think we can. So you would, you would dismiss that. You would say, I, we, don't, we don't need to be concerned about the Martians. But now, in your head, as I'm saying that, you're saying, yeah, well, but that's obviously silly. Mm-hmm. And uh, Matt, your point is, isn't obviously silly in the eye of the beholder. Um, mm. You had someone come to you say, and I have Bible verses. Well, here's the thing. Right now on the podcast tonight, I'd like to premiere, and I'm very proud of this. I believe I have a brand new heresy. Okay. Um, cool. I don't, that's exciting. I don't think this has ever been heard before. I think according to some people, that's not a new thing for this podcast, but sure, <laughs> as, a, as an official segment, it is. But this is the thing for the person who asked this question, and I'm teasing you here. I love you, but I want to prove a point. I have a Bible verse, so you have okay. to hear me out. Okay. Okay. Sure. I believe I can revoke your salvation. Hmm. I can just decide, nope, you're not saved anymore. I can just do that. That's my okay. new heresy. Okay. I've decided. Here's Jed, why. Bible that heresy. I'm about to Bible that heresy. <laughs> Here we go. Get ready for it. Boom. Jesus said, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. Right. Now, if you're a fisherman, you catch a fish, you don't like it, you know what you do? Throw it back. Wow. That's wow. right. If I'm a fisher of men, I can throw you back. Decide, so, so if you if you evangelize me, yep, you can unevangelize. I can unevangelize you. Say boom, not saved anymore. Just threw you back. Jed, you bibled that heresy. I bibled that heresy. <laughs> now this is the thing that's obviously we want to be crystal clear. That's not true. Not true. Not true. Super not true. In fact, it's supposed to be so not true. You shouldn't need me to tell you that, but it's super super not the true. The views of Bible this heresy do not represent those of the Say That podcast My or po- the Bible or the Bible. <laughs> My point is, we took something, it's a crazy idea, we took a Bible verse colossally out of context right. that doesn't have anything to do with it, right. but twisted around where it kind of, sort of, it sounds like maybe it does, mm-hmm. and the point is, you feel like I have to consider it. Right. Sure. I have to look at it. Right. One of the things, that, and this is a hard part of growing up, but one of the things that, that we have to reach a point at is realizing you actually don't have to give weight and consideration to every weird, crazy idea people float out, including Hello. in church. That's right. You know if the person ran up to you and said the Martians are coming, you know you'd say, no, they're not. Uh, you're, you're, there's no problem here. The other thing is there's crazy people in church too. Right. Um, they're, they're, and they, they read that Bible. 
and uh, they find verses that sound like they agree with their crazy idea, and now they want to put their crazy idea on you. It doesn't sound Christian. It doesn't sound Jesus-y. It doesn't sound American. But actually, the right thing in that moment is put your hand on the shoulder and say it, brother, this is some crazy stuff. Yep. Um, you know, You know I love you. Uh, I don't want to hear the Bible verses because this is some crazy stuff. But, but, but Jonathan and David, it's all tied to No, no, no. I, I hear you. Yeah. I, I'm. I'm. But you. You. This is some crazy stuff. I right. think you. I think you're going through some things. Mm-hmm. I think you're going through some hard times. Going through some problems. I'd love to. If there's something I can do to help, mm-hmm. I'd love to help. But 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 the answer to what you're talking about here is no. That's right. Uh, don't tell me any more about it. That's right. Because you're just going to embarrass yourself. That's right. So so the the answer is no. Now the thing is that doesn't sound. Christian. That doesn't right. sound like, but what I just described to you is the most loving thing you can do in that situation. Right. It's yeah. far and away the most loving, most respectful thing you can possibly do. Because here's here's what's going on is what this person is talking about is just as crazy as the Martians are coming. There, right. there, there's, right. there's no difference. I, if, I'd like to take a brief second. This has been said, but it's so important to, to demarcate this and be very, very clear. It's going to come back to where we're at. When you have sex with another human being, it does not create a spiritual tie between you and them. No, right. it does not. That, that does not exist. Um, sex is a serious thing. As Lee put it, it is more than body parts rubbing together. Actually, on a physiological level, the brain releases hormones that increase a perceived sense of intimacy when you have sex with another human being. Right. Here is the living out of that. When you have sex with someone, you perceive that you have emotional intimacy with them, whether you do or not. Right. That that physiologically that happens um, when that relationship doesn't work out, that increased sense of emotional intimacy is probably going to make that breakup hurt a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's going to make kind of the getting over of the breakup take a lot longer. That's an emotional thing stemming from a physical reality. Spirituality has not entered the picture anywhere in there. Right. There, there is nothing spiritual. To prove that point to a ridiculous degree, Jesus' great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandmother was a woman named Rahab. Right. She is, she is Jesus' line. She right. was a prostitute. Right. Her job was to have sex with people, many people, right. for money. Day in and day out. If you're wondering, does God think that sexual sins shame you in a way that can't be undone? Remember that Jesus's grandmother was literally a prostitute. That brings us back to this. Given that sex has zero spiritual connection that it creates, this is crazy stuff. And so it's about giving yourself permission to call crazy stuff out when it comes your way. And and you can do that in a loving way. You should do it in a loving way. But friend, you don't know what you're talking about. I know you mean well. I know you're trying to give me a good word. This is crazy stuff. I'm not going to hear you out on it. Well, and, and just to tack on to the end, there's plenty that we can say that's both legit psychologically and spiritually about premarital sex to warn people off of it. To talk it's about not a good idea. It's not a good idea. It's not uh, righteous. In other words, it's a sin to have sex outside of marriage. Um, and there's lots and lots of things that we can talk about that that really illustrate why we should not do that. I would be happy to to, to I could talk for an hour on absolutely that stuff right and be happy to do it. You know, but here's the thing: is you can't suggest if, if I say I had sex outside of marriage, can I be forgiven? The answer to that question is yes. Period. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Any other answer is heresy. That's, any other, anything after that, yes, is you editorializing and adding that's, stuff. That's correct. Uh, again, there and, and understand there are uh, this this part of the reason why you hear a certain vehemence in our voice on this subject 
is we've been uh, on the receiving end, all of us probably at this point, of uh, I, I was raped when I was younger. I was molested when I was younger. Does that mean I have soul ties to my rapist? And that's when... It's everybody out of the pool. Everybody yeah. out of the pool. No one says this word anymore. You can't do it anymore. That we can only let dumb stuff go so far. Yeah. When when rape victims are being victimized all over again within the church yeah. because of you using uh, dumb ideas, that's where uh, it, it, uh, uh, again. That's where we ha- as Christians have to have a sense of discernment of okay. Holy cow, on the yeah. face of this, this makes no sense. Well, and just to clue you into to part of what's being put on you here, here, here's the thing consistently about sin across the board. It doesn't work. Right. Um, whatever yeah. you think it's going to give you, it's not. Right. Um, the the amazing good time and, and the orgasm that gives you meaning in life, premarital sex is not going to give you that. It, it, well, it can't. You, you and I were talking about the other night about uh, Hugh Hefner getting married. Exactly right. I mean, if if he says, you know what, I the best, the the the, the most amazing sex life that you can have, apparently, is settle down and get married. Yeah, that, and that's Hugh Hefner is the guy that that created Playboy magazine. Right, um, right, right. So, uh, sin, it, a magazine was like a web page, but you printed it was printed out and you bought it at the Seven Eleven. It hope your parents an, didn't find it. It was analog porn. Exactly right. <laughs> sin doesn't work. That's that's the thing about it. It just it whatever you hope it will do, it can't do. It won't do. That that's part of why the Lord says to you, "Don't do this." I actually, I want to meet your desires. This this can't do that. The thing is, if you look at sin that way, there's plenty of people who say, "Well, I'm, I still want to do it," and if it's not right. going to kill me. Then, um, and the thing is, in the short term, in most cases, there's a whole lot of sin that actually doesn't always have huge earthly consequences. Right, right. Um, you know, uh, and premarital sex can be one of those things where right. it it it's not going to do what you want it to do. That's a guarantee. But oftentimes, and particularly in the short term, it often, not all the time, but often, doesn't have a ton of earthly consequences. Right. So, if you're using protection, if you're using protection, that's a very big important if. So there's a lot of people, a lot of young people look at and say, okay, well, I'm just going to do it anyway. Well, there are older Christians, and we want to say, some of them mean well, and their idea is, what if I can make up some consequences right. and scare you off? Right. Because it's not a good thing for you to be doing, and wouldn't it be better if you didn't do it? And the ends justify the means. And justify the means. So if I could just get you scared so that you don't do it, then everybody wins. Right. The problem, and that sounds like it makes sense. That sounds, right. like, except that Jesus is super not down with that absolutely Uh, the idea of making up rules and regulations making up consequences and and tacking them onto sin jesus is not down with the bible is not down with um and in fact it is love that leads us to change and leave live differently not fear thank you that's in the bible Fear does not have the power to change your behavior, not in the long term. It does not have the power to make you live a righteous life. Only love can do that. Part of the way that you experience that love is by entering into the good things God does have for you. Mm-hmm. You can spend all your time being afraid of what premarital sex could do, or you could say, how do I invest in a healthy, godly dating relationship and see how good and righteous it could be? You. Now you're headed in a good direction. Yeah. That's all fantastic stuff. One thing, uh, we're going a little long here, but it's all great stuff. And I want to tack one thing on the end of this. I want to just be crystal clear about, we talked about, you know, the manipulation and the kind of, to get back to your main question, we always, again, we always want to answer the question you ask. Who is to determine or judge which of these interpretations is right or wrong? Here's the thing about the Bible. You can only judge it against itself. That's right. You, you can pray stuff up and all that, but the, the studying of the Bible as opposed to other books where you go to an outside source or whatever is you got to make this thing 
agree with other stuff it's saying. Right. That's how you kind of judge whether or not you're interpreting a single verse correctly or not. Absolutely. Here's a couple of things to look at. Whenever someone comes to you and says, my argument hinges on these two singular <laughs> verses in very disparate parts of the Bible, and it really only works if you do it in this translation. <laughs> it has nothing to do with dating or romantic yeah. relationships of any no, kind. No, that's great. So I want to look specifically, go into this a little bit at the beginning, but I want to do this for Crystal Clear. We'll look at the two verses you're looking at. First Samuel 18.1 says, right. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David and loved him as himself. Right. Now, there's no soul ties. Nobody's claiming Jonathan and David had sex. There yeah, actually no are sex some, right. There actually are some people who claim that, but that they're on their whole own, whole own other thing. That's a different right. episode. What's saying here is, okay, so Saul was the king of Israel. Right. God had prophesied and told the prophet Samuel that David was going to be the king of Israel. Right. The person this screws over most is Jonathan, right. who was Saul's son. Right. So by all Game of Thrones-style logic, Jonathan should have been the dude trying to take David out left, right, and center. Right. But he became one in spirit with David and said, if God wants you to be king, I want you to be king, and that's what we're doing here. Right. And loved David as himself. You may recall later in the Bible, Jesus calls you to love all people as yourself. Right. I don't think he's saying you should e either A, have sex with everyone, <laughs> or B, well, that you are soul tied to every single person. Well, but he does say love others as yourself. Well, who's to say? Really? Who's to say? Let's go to 1 Corinthians 6, 7. 616 and it says do you not know that if you unite your body with a pro if you have sex with a prostitute you become one flesh with her you know he used the word flesh he had the word spirit sitting right there if he meant spirit yeah, right as a matter of fact he goes on in the next verse to say but if you are united with god you are united as one in spirit right it's almost like he very much doesn't use the word spirit intentionally right because he's talking about flesh because uh when uh uh boys and girls lay down together and they fit certain body parts et cetera, together. Et cetera, special hug. Special hug, tab A, slot B. So, Absolutely. Yes. But here's, here's, here's the point I'm trying to make. A, we want to give you the right ammunition if someone comes to you again and says, well, what about first hand? You say, no, we're not doing that. But also, you know, you don't have a perfect understanding yet. You may not have read this math theology, but we can tell them a question. You know the basics of Christianity right. about grace and forgiveness and all that stuff. So if someone comes to you and says, aha, but here's the exception to grace. First of all, as Jed pointed out, you're well within your right to say, there are no exceptions to grace. You got to get out of my face with that. Right. But if someone wants to make an argument that changes your functional view of Christianity, you got to have more than a couple of verses. Mm. And here's the thing. Context has to strengthen an argument, yes. right. not detract from it. Yep. Okay. Right. I we catch I catch myself all the time. I'll speak for myself. We do a thing at the bridge where you have to put up a verse. That's the way we keep people preaching and we put them on the slide and we make sure. And I can I will lo be looking through that Bible gateway and go, well, this is worded real well for what I'm trying to say. Let yes. me expand this chapter. Eh, it's not really saying that. Yeah. Not right. going to do that. We can't do that. That's not what it is. If you make someone makes a good point, a good biblical argument is always strengthened by more context, more translation, yep. more language, more going back to the original languages. So if someone says, well, this one verse in this one translation totally undoes all the stuff about grace. That's not a, that's not a good argument, period. Much less a good biblical argument. And on a uh, historical perspective, there are plenty of fringe, if not cult groups within Christianity, where their doctrinal distinctives come from one word of right. one verse yeah. in one translation. Right. A lot of a yeah. lot of the uh, kind of not even some of the even more mainstream groups that would say they don't believe in the Trinity. It all comes down to this one word 
in the King James that was this instead of that. And they just, mm-hmm. they run off on that. Here's the thing. You got to make a case. Whenever someone comes to us with some weird thing, thing is make your case. Right. I'm going to give you one good time to say, sounds like some weird crap, but at the end of the day, I believe that a construction worker in a Jewish province 2000 years ago was God and rose from the dead. So I'm somewhat open to weird ideas. <laughs> right. So why don't you make your case? But if it all hinges on a couple of, here's the thing, isolated verses, Yep, you got to go away. Yeah. All right. We've gone very long on this episode, but there was a lot of awesome stuff. And here's the thing about podcasts. A, they're free. B, you can pause them. Mm. <laughs> Just come on back. Wow. So we do want to thank Andrew Peterson for sitting down and talking to me. That was Thanks, a lot Andrew. of fun. Again, you can find him Woo! at andrew-peterson.com or rabbitroom.com. We're going to take you out with a song by our friends Southern Harmonic. Their, their new album drops Monday, April the 27th. Woo! The kids say it awesome. drops. Yeah, mm. You can find that on iTunes. Here's the cool thing. It's going to be on pre-order all week before that. If you buy the pre-order, 100% of the proceeds go to help send kids to Young Life Camp both wow. in Anderson County, Tennessee, and in inner city Knoxville. No Brian brainer. and Clark are the guys in Southern Harmonic. That was their idea. They're super passionate about it. It's an awesome thing. So if you like the songs you've heard here and on the Bridge Podcast from Southern Harmonic, now is the time to get them and do some good stuff with your money. So Ooh. this is a song they recorded directly from the Psalms called Come, You Who Are Thirsty. Thank you for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. Possible title for Christian Young Adult Mole Man book, Holy Moly! <laughs> <laughs> yeah! Come